1: This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, the Bucs and the Suns battle it out in the NBA Finals. Milwaukee wins game three. Can they continue to make it a series? We discuss that and more with a former Suns front office man and current league insider. But first, Darlene, let's get to it. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot
2: 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA
1: since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo fellas welcome to catch and shoot 2.0 i am aaron berlin along with my partner he is the one he is the only his name is otto strong otto what's up my man
0: hey man look i know this is a podcast and the people can't see us but i can see you and i see you're wearing a kansas shirt and so i need to ask you how 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 is that oh it's a a lovely shade of blue and and so how is salvi feeling about salvi's other um uh, salvi's night last night in the in the home run derby
1: so, so for people who don't know, Salvi is my dog. She's named after, you know, a 2015 uh, World Series MVP. That is Salvador Perez, who also hit the second highest home run total for the first round of the home run derby last night, but yet got no love on ESPN. No love. Like this guy is a seven, seven-time All-Star, auto, Seven-time All-Star. One of the two best catchers that has probably played in the major league baseball over the last decade. Him and Yadi Molina, who have shared a state together, and yet, like the broadcast can't even acknowledge him when he walks up because they're drooling over Pete Alonso and his one shining moment. You know, because he's a Met, and he's never going to win anything. So I thought, I
0: thought there were thirty-five shining moments. Those balls were going all, oh. all over the place. Yo, he hit some moonshots. But like, did. but like,
1: just give my guy. A... So I watched the Home Run Derby, just to see Salvador Perez in there. Well, you saw and, him. Just, like, just the and, like, the whole time I'm <laughs> having to listen to, like, this stupid Pete Alonzo interview. And, like, yeah, he had some cool bets. But, like, let me watch my guy. You know, that's why people turn, tune into that, right?
0: Well, like I said, you got to see him. You just didn't get to hear anything <laughs> about <him. laughs>
1: I, I will say this. I hear Jason Benetti did a great job. On the Statcast telecast, and I right. kind of wish I would have flipped over and watched that because right. Jason Benetti is always fantastic. I will, you know, he is the Sox broadcaster and also does some ESPN stuff, but I'll gladly listen to him any day of the week.
0: All so. right, well, hey, that, all all good things, but we are in the middle of an NBA Finals, and we actually have a Finals. The Suns now, now it's a two-one lead that the Suns have. So, what, what are you, uh, what are you thinking?
1: So it it kind of feels like. We, we talk about this a lot, right? Like teams that go up 2-0, usually they drop game three because the series shifts to the team that's usually down 2-0's home venue. And that environment felt very different from Phoenix and Milwaukee. That felt like a crowd that was going to will that team to victory regardless of what happened. Now, I don't think anyone saw that like a 20-point loss coming the Suns' way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looked like a Milwaukee team that took a breath That played relaxed and it's easy to say they played desperate, but they looked comfortable for the first time in this series. And I wonder if that can carry over into game four on Wednesday night. We're recording this on Tuesday night. I'm not willing to say that the Bucs are the favorite, but if you're looking at the betting favorite for tomorrow's game, they are a five-point favorite, which is interesting because it feels like maybe some of the early momentum that the Suns had gained is starting to wane a little bit now that it's back in Milwaukee. But if the Suns win tomorrow,
0: how do you even pick
1: against that?
0: Yeah, and if the Suns went tomorrow, the Deer District becomes the Fear District. I think that's that's the basically <laughs> how that's going to go. Sorry, and and I, with all apologies to Rob Peterson, a guest a couple weeks ago, Milwaukee Bucks fan, but I mean it 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 does feel. I mean, look, Game Four is probably going to decide the series. I mean, it, yeah. you know, um, although I will say, I mean, two two going back to Phoenix, uh, obviously the Suns probably still have you know the edge. Obviously, two out of three being playing their building, but um, you got to think that if momentum counts for anything. Uh, I know they've had the extra day on That's another interesting thing. They've had the extra day off because of the travel and because of the all-star game. I think when they, I think from this point on they're going, you know, every other day. So they are losing that extra day. And you wonder what effect that might have on guys. Yeah. Because
1: this would be the last day of the back-to-back home games. And then it yeah. goes one, 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 right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you know, the, uh, another thing was how bad, were Middleton and Holiday in game two? And then how complimentary were they to Giannis in game three? Like if, if they're that the rest of the way, I have a hard time picking against the Bucks.
0: Yeah. I just, you know, I don't, I don't know if that game is going to necessarily travel, um, you know, back to Phoenix. And I don't know if, if the, if the Bucs are necessarily going to roll out, you know, three wins straight. Um, you know, I, I think I, I would trust in Monty and, and team to to make the necessary adjustments even if they went back to uh you know 2-2 two, two. but you know hey this is why we play the game right
1: absolutely and before we talk a little bit more about the series uh real quick team usa they're playing tonight the night that we're recording this so it'll be
0: their third game
1: um i think they're playing back-to-back nights are you concerned about them at all or is this just like dude it's exhibition games
0: it's exhibition games, A little concerned. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, three of the guys who are on the team are playing in the NBA finals. You know, you got Chris Middleton, you got Drew Holiday, you got Devin Booker. So um, on some level, I'd like to think that, 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 I mean, you know, obviously they're fine players, That that intensity, I mean, they're clearly they're going to be in shape. They're going to be going, you know, from, you know, from wherever the series ends to wherever, you know, they are going to be at that point. So I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm not hitting the panic button, but my thumb is kind of hovering over it. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense?
1: Oh, yeah. You're, you're looking to press it. You're just like, you're not there yet because they're exhibition games. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's a lot of times I've been concerned about, Perfect example, Royals killed it in spring training, right? Killed it the first month of the season. Now where are they? Fifth worst record in baseball. <laughs> like, talent wins out. It bears championships. And so, like, Team USA, they got a lot of talent. They've just come together. It's time to figure out. But you want to talk a little more hoops?
0: Please. Let's do it.
1: Well, after losing their first two games in Phoenix, the Bucs took game three versus Suns and looked to even the series on Wednesday night. To talk about that and other things happening around the loop and the basketball world, we bring in Metalike Media's contributor and co-host on XM. His name is Amin Hassan. Amin, how's it going, man?
2: Oh man, what a, what a time to be alive, huh? Finals in the middle of July, summer league is a heartbeat away. And, and here we are in the middle of a series that maybe could get a lot more interesting, or maybe could get a lot less interesting, depending on what happens in the next game.
1: Okay. So, so let's talk about that because I thought the first two games, it's safe to say were are a disaster for the Bucks, right? Like there's no other way to put it. Like they didn't look prepared. They come back game three and look good. What changed?
2: Oof, well, a couple of things. I think uh, they did a much better job offensively of mixing things up. Uh, they didn't throw the ball to Giannis and let him try to navigate his way. I think Giannis looked a lot sprier than he did in game two. Obviously, game two, he had a great game. and Game three, if I had known about the injury that occurred to him a little under two weeks earlier, I wouldn't have known he got hurt. That's how that's how good he looked in game three. He looked good as new. That doesn't mean he is good as new. But for that night, he definitely moved like a guy who had a lot of confidence in that knee. And then I think defensively, they did a better job of kind of pushing up on the ball. They made life very difficult for Devin Booker. And I thought they just played with a lot more, uh, not to use the cliche coach speak, but a lot more force. They played with force. And I think that really helped uh, compared to what they had done in the first two games, which is a lot more tentative and uh, less kind of uh, forceful.
0: It seemed like universally everybody just thought, okay, Milwaukee's going to win that game three. And is that, is, from, from a, you know, you're an insider. From your perspective, is, it, was that kind of the assumption around, uh, around the people that you know that it was Milwaukee was going to win that game or is, was there something else at work?
2: It's weird, Otto, because I think people were just going conventional wisdom. Hey, when you go back home now, you know, like the whole, oh, the only thing the Suns have done is hold serve. Uh, with, I was one of the people, I didn't think the Suns just held serve. I thought the Suns outplayed and outcoached them. Mm-hmm. I think beyond their players playing better strategically. Phoenix, if you look through the first two games of the series, it wasn't just that they were making shots is that they were getting the shots that they wanted. The shots that you practice for, right? When you go through your drills, your 5-on-0 drills, running our offensive sets and saying to guys, okay, Mikel Bridges, we run it this way. Either you're going to get a shot here in the corner or you're going to have a wide open lane or you're going to be able to cut. These are the things basically to look out for. And they got those shots every single trip down. And on the other end, Milwaukee, regardless of, how well their offense was operating at the time or not, their shots were difficult. They, they were getting contested. They had to fight for everything. And so I, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence between you know those two things and, and Mike Boonholzer's kind of reluctance to make adjustments that anything would happen differently. The other thing I want to point out is I believe it's like four times in the history of the NBA where a team has gone 0-2 in the finals and ended up winning. I know the Cavs did it in 2016. I believe the Heat did it in 2006. And there are maybe two more times. So even if Milwaukee ends up tying this thing up, it should be apparent to everybody, they, the odds are stacked firmly against them um, in terms of historical performance of teams in that position.
1: And, and that's, you know, so prior to this, I was looking at what Vegas was saying for – game four almost said game five but what they're forecasting for game four and i think they have the bucks by five so, so does this just feel like an instance where the bucks have a little bit of momentum and people are starting to turn the tide and they think that maybe the bucks are starting to kind of get things rolling with this i think two
2: things one is or three things one is the momentum
1: right you won game three decisively
2: you feel good right two they're still at home so I want to say it's two and a half points is usually the baked in spread for just like the home team gets two and a half. And then other factors will either make that spread larger or smaller, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. And then the third thing to me, that which is probably the most important is Giannis is getting better. Giannis is getting healthier. And we know that's a completely different conversation. If that guy's moving around like he did in game three, if that's, Closer to what he's going to look like the rest of the series. Not necessarily talking about the 40 and 10. I'm just talking about look at him physically, running up and down the floor, moving laterally, exploding. If he's going to look like that, obviously the confidence in Milwaukee grows uh, from there on out.
0: So I mean, you've got a situation where going into Game Four, Monty obviously knows the deal. Monty Williams, coach of the coach of the, coach of the Suns. You take a 3-1 lead back to Phoenix, it's, it's basically, you know, we, we, could, we could pop the champagne right now. I mean, that, that's, that's, it's, it just feels like that. On the other hand, if it's 2-2 heading back to Phoenix, you still like your odds of but your money, but you know how much he's riding on this game for. So that said, what kind of adjustments do you think he needs to make?
2: Well, I think first and foremost, we now know that DeAndre Ayton foul trouble is apparently the key to messing Phoenix up because that, that that's the other big thing that happened in game three was him getting in foul trouble. And then it illustrated the lack of depth. The Suns have now with Dario Sharic out, uh, with that, with that torn ACL now you, and they try to play Tory Craig at the five, but he's a little too undersized to do that. And they try to play Frank Kaminsky. And I think he was a minus 13 in the five minutes he played, which is really hard. It's really hard to be that bad that quickly. Um, it's, it's tough, so I think one of the adjustments is a conversation with DeAndre Ayton, maybe a sit down and take a look at some of those fouls. I know one of them was kind of a, he was trying to take a hard foul on Giannis as he's coming down the lane in transition, and he said, big fella, sometimes you got to lose a battle to win the war. It would have been give him the two points or, or let someone else take that foul because your presence on the floor is more important than maybe making Giannis go one for two at the free throw line on that particular possession.
1: Does it feel like injuries are starting to mount for the Suns? I mean, you, you take a look at Devin Booker, he collides in game two with Patrick Beverly, he struggles in game three. You're also without Dario Saric. I mean, does this feel like an instance where maybe the Suns roster is starting to feel thin the deeper we get into the series? Well, I mean, they, they were the deeper teams
2: at the start of the of the finals, I think. Uh, we have a lot more confidence in their bench and, and the role that they play than we do in Milwaukee's. But I think the the soft spot for them is at center. They don't have a whole lot of size, right? Jay Crowder is their starting four. And, you know, he's really a a, a wing, like a jumbo wing or, or so. So DeAndre Ayton... He's not the best player. He's not the second best player. But he might be the most irreplaceable player for them. He's a guy that, hey, if he's not out there, we don't have a whole lot of other guys we can turn to and say, can you provide 70%, 50% of what he does for us on the floor? And, again, I'm not talking about the production. I'm just talking about, can you set a screen and roll hard and catch a above-the-rim pass? You really don't have a guy who can do that, right? Can you be a force on the boards? They don't really have a guy who can do that. And not to say that Sharich could, but he could do some of the stuff. He could bring some value at center. Now that he's gone, now you're talking about smaller guys playing small ball. And if you play small ball, if you're Phoenix playing small ball, that kind of plays into Milwaukee's hands a bit because they can put Giannis at the five
0: and you know that we don't have an answer for that. Right. Absolutely. So um, it's hard to paper over a 20 point loss. But that said, Devin Booker was just three for 14 and I think did not play uh, for, the, for the entire fourth quarter. So given the struggles and everything, where what do you, what do you think he's doing right now? What do you think he's, he's being told? How do you think that conversation's going?
2: Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, we there's a conversation about, hey, we sat you because – the game looked out of hand. We're gonna see if we can get it back closer. But if not, there's no point in you killing yourself and slash or risking further injury, right? Particularly coming off of a, a a broken nose and he's maskless now. If you break your nose, your nose is really, really susceptible to refracture or re-dislocation uh in the time thereafter. That's why they're so protected with those masks. They don't want you to re- keep messing it up and then you end up with a crooked nose like mine um the yeah the the follies of youth right like (laughs) you're bashed in the face and you're like i'm fine just give me a towel i'll wipe it off um so you know that was clearly a strategic move there but then the next conversation is how can we get book going right how can we make him shed uh pj tucker which was one of the adjustments milwaukee did they moved holiday on nepal and they put pj tucker on Devin booker and one of the, the things about that relationship in particular is obviously they, those guys were teammates for quite a while pj was pretty much books vet i believe like when he came in the league pj was the the vetter on the team and so there's a familiarity there that you know maybe closes the gap a bit on pj's defensive ability versus books offense and so I, I think trying to get the uh, P.J. Tucker shed off of, of Book is going to be important, and whether that's screening and rescreening, basically trying to force a switch, whether that's um, trying to bait P.J., who's a very aggressive defensive player, into foul trouble. They've got to find a way to be, a li- I think, a little bit more cunning with how they use Devin Booker in order to get, uh, to get him going offensively.
1: Uh, I mean, one of the things uh, I think sometimes gets lost in translation a little bit is just the improvement that we've seen from DeAndre Ayton this year, right? I I mean, if you think about the growth of DeAndre Ayton for the last three years, I I would say a few years ago, people were saying that he was probably a disappointment at 1-1, but now you look at the impact that he's had playing alongside Devin Booker, playing alongside Chris Paul in that pick and roll, and he's been really successful. Where have you seen the most growth from him? Defensively
2: defensively and it's been in these playoffs because I thought offensively he's been good from day one. I mean, I don't – I mean, maybe I'm just living in a bubble. I don't think DeAndre has ever been bad in the NBA. He's been a really good player. He just has the misfortune of a generational-type player being picked a couple selections after him.
1: Well, it's the curse of being 1-1, right? Like, there's, right. Th- there's always a stigma with being 1-1. The expectations are too high.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, no, I mean, yes and no, yes and no. There is, but his is not a case of the expectations being too high. His is a case of there's a guy who's clearly the best player in this draft class who's, just, who's going to be a face of this league who's going to be a generational-type player, uh, who was the most decorated player to ever come out of Europe at age 18. Uh, the, the idea And what makes it triply frustrating for Phoenix is the guy you had as your head coach at the time coached that guy. You had all of the ins, all of the, basically the, the chips were stacked in your favor to get this right. And you got it wrong. Not because DeAndre Ayton isn't living up to expectations. Right now, would you say he's living up to expectations right now as he's played in these playoffs? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, right? Who'd you rather have, this DeAndre Ayton guaranteed or Luka Doncic?
1: Well, because he's playing in the finals, I'd take this DeAndre Ayton guaranteed. I'm talking
2: about, I'm talking about in general. I'm not talking about right now, who'd you rather oh, have? Oh,
1: well, if, if I'm projecting a roster out, I'm definitely going Luka.
2: Right. Like it's not close. And that's, again, that's not Aiton's fault. He
1: no, needs, but it's, it's also it. positional need too. And what's important today. Right,
2: right now, obviously in these finals center is the biggest thing that they need. But if I told you we're going to start next year and you gave the Suns the option, Hey, you want a mulligan? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no question. There's so, no question.
1: That- so be- because that draft was so deep too, you know, and you think about who was taken at five with Trey young, yep. That's like, is there, is there any buyer's remorse there as well with what we saw from Trey in these playoffs?
2: I, I think so. I, I think there is because, again, those two guys look like players who are going to be generational franchise faces. I can build my team around these people. And DeAndre looks like someone who could be a great player, a multiple-time All-Star, multiple-time All-NBA but also not quite as good as those guys. He's not going to be
0: one of the three best players in the league. So, I mean, if I hear you right, he's always going to be playing behind book. He's, it's, it's never going to be his team. Like it's Lucas team, like it's Trey's team. Um, so, so here's, here's my, here's, here's, my question. I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but, but, do you feel like if they got Luca and I get, I get it, you know, there's, there's the, there's the future. And there's the now, if you get Luca and he's the future, then you probably don't have Chris Paul come in. You don't have what you have right now. But as you know, championships and path and, and you know and Chris Paul will tell you a spot in the finals is not guaranteed. So having, I mean, I I guess I guess in your in your version of of the of the future to come, Luca is is the guy and he's going to. You know, paired with, with Booker, presumably going to get that Phoenix Suns team over the line multiple years to make that worthwhile. Is that, that that's what you see? When you see the long view, that's what you would see.
2: Yeah, I, I would say that we strive to get it right. Sometimes yeah, we get it wrong and it ends up working out, right? Mm-hmm. Suns got that wrong. But it ended up working out because, as you point out properly, that the him going there makes the team be a certain way. And when Chris Paul is available to say, oh, that's what we've been looking for for years. Let's get this point guard, and now it all comes together. That doesn't change the fact that you had the chance. It's it's like uh, it's like Houston in 1984, drafting Hakeem Olajuwon, right? It worked out in the end, but you can't tell me, oh yeah, no, 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 Michael Jordan. Not to hell with that. <laughs> and that, and that's the big thing. I'm not calling Aiton Hakeem. I'm not calling Luca Jordan. I'm just saying. There's ways where you can get it wrong and it still works out for you in the end. And not that, did you change anything? Right. Because I'm pretty sure Houston's happy with the two championships. that won in the nineties and if Phoenix goes on and, and wins this championship. I'm sure they'll be ecstatic with their pick and they'll say that, but I think you look at Luca and you're looking at someone, like I said, who's going to be mentioned with magic Johnson and Larry bird and, and, tim duncan and those kind of guys and i don't think deandre ayton is going to be that good in his career and i think that's the big difference and maybe i'm talking about two in the one in the hand versus two in the bush the one in the hand is probably better for phoenix but i i don't know i think no one sets out to get it wrong and hope it works out everyone sets out to get it right
1: yeah and it almost feels and maybe this is just my view of it you know right But with a player like Luka or a player like Trey, you can foresee a way to build a roster around them that can be a championship-caliber team, right? With someone at the center position in today's modern NBA, it almost feels like they have to win this one to make that pick work. Is that fair, or is that just me overthinking it?
2: Uh, No, I mean, I think it's just in terms of, okay, who are the centers that the teams are built around them? You got Jokic, you got Embiid. I guess if you want to call Bama center, we're trending that way in Miami. Um, and then we got, it gets it gets <laughs> thin, like Rudy Gobert kind of, but he's like, oh, like they have a weird division of labor thing going in Utah. where it's like, I'm in charge of this side and Donovan's in charge of that side. And we're the Twix factory, left Twix, right <laughs> Twix, right. <laughs> um, but you know, as you see, I mean, you see it in the all NBA voting every year, the defensive, the, excuse me, the center uh, position. It's like, there's a default guy getting in there every time. Well, it's, it,
1: it's not even listed anymore, right? It's just guards no, and forwards, isn't it? We're not, that's
2: all-star. The all-NBA okay. all NB, all teams will still have a, a center spot. That's how Rudy Gobert's been making all-NBA the last couple of years. <laughs> I'm not, I'm no offense, but it's just mm-hmm. like, because there aren't enough guys who are difference makers. Like Carl Anthony Towns on paper should be that kind of guy, but we know he's got you know, his set of flaws on the basketball court. Uh, you got Nick Busevich, but again, he's kind of a very specific kind of player. The reality is the number of centers who are like, hey, build a franchise around me and we'll win 50 games. It's limited. It's a yeah, limited it, it, number, it, It's right? not
1: like when the Magic selected Shaq,
2: right? But right. Like you, is, could, exactly. you could <laughs> see
1: what was happening there right. and how they built that roster around Shaq. Like, that just doesn't happen in today's NBA. Well,
2: and, and, and part of that is – Part of that is like, oh, the game has changed. Part of that also is the talent, right? Yeah. Like Shaq, Embiid, Jokic are a specific – it's not just, hey, man, I, I shoot 70% and I scored 18 points. These guys are passing. These guys are commanding double teams. These guys are guys you can give the ball early in the clock. They can create a possession out of it. And Ayton is kind of a pick and roll, uh, pick and pop. Active on the glass, quick duck-ins. Like, everything is quick, 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 which is great. That's exactly what Phoenix needs right now. They really don't need him to try to prove to the world, like Dwight Howard tried to, that, no, I actually can do other things. Don't need all that. We just need you to do that on the offensive end and on the defensive end, rebound and protect the rim and move your feet. And he's been doing that great in these playoffs. You can't ask for anything more. But if we're talking about building a team around this guy and his talents, it's almost like okay, what do I need to build a team around DeAndre? And okay, the first thing I need is like a Hall of Fame caliber point guard, who's going to be able to run pick and roll, and do it to death. So I'll give you a great comp from my time in Phoenix. Amari Stoudemire. Amari Stoudemire was one of the most devastating offensive players, at in, in the league as from the front court position, could score so many different ways, but he went from like a really nice offensive player to all NBA because he played with the greatest point guard of our generation. That the idea that you can have Amari come up and set a screen and Steve come off that screen and there are infinite levels of how they can kill you based on who they are. Like, that's what made it spe- what made him special. And so Deandre Ayton right now playing alongside Chris Paul of course he looks amazing because Chris Paul is cognizant of all these different options that are available to him. Now, take Chris Paul out and put, let me think of a name that's, you know, like a good player, but not quite Chris Paul. Like, uh, help put Drew Holiday. Put Drew Holiday on the Suns. You think we're getting that? You got kind of DeAndre Ayton? I don't, I, don't, I don't believe so. Yeah, you know, Ayton said it himself. He said, uh, Chris Paul told me, well, I, you know, one word is going to make you be a star in this league. He said, what word is that? He says, angles. And he starts explaining all the different angles of, like, when you set a screen this way versus this way versus this way versus this way, versus this way. <clears throat> and you coming out, exploding out of that, running this way, fading this way. Like, he starts breaking out all the different options of this, the most simple play, the pick and roll. And that's the kind of stuff that like, yeah, you get that when you play with Chris Paul, you get it when you play with Steve Nash, you get it when you play with LeBron James. You may not get it when you play with Derrick Rose or or uh, Goran Dragic or or, uh, you know, John Wall. And, and that's not these are all various forms of very good to even great players. But it's just not quite the same as playing with one of the greatest to ever have done it.
0: From your perch, who would you who would you have in that kind of that one spot? That guy who is, you know, technically proficient but is also, you know, the mentor, the teacher. I mean, is it Chris Paul, or is, or is there anybody else you could think of? It.
2: Well, Chris Paul, like the mentor, the teacher. Uh, understand that there is an expiry date on that. Okay. Before it, before it becomes the nagger the complainer the pain in my ass right
1: yeah yeah i get that i get that. like everyone thinks oh it's just like the hard-ass coach like they all have a shelf life right
2: they have a shelf life right because when you're first being exposed to it you're like oh my god i didn't realize oh that's right oh that's all of these things that i never knew about and yeah he says it sternly but he says it because he cares three years in when you make the little mistake of I left the bathroom light on. and like, oh, Jesus Christ, the light bill. And I'm like, I don't want to hear about it. I get it. I messed up. I don't want to have to hear a dissertation. I don't want to, I don't want to be a, in front of a Senate hearing because I missed this rotation or because I didn't realize what the clock was and get it back to you or whatever. I get it. My bad. Move on. And that's Chris Paul's track record everywhere he's gone. The only place where he didn't wear everybody out was Oklahoma because he's just there for the honeymoon period of the one year. Now. You could argue that maybe winning a championship in Phoenix will buy him lifetime immunity from people getting frustrated about that. But I think everyone's human at the end of the day and no one wants to be berated. And he does have a berating tone that tends to become more abrasive as time goes on. But to answer the question, guys I would want in that position, obviously Chris Paul, if he's not at the top of the list, he's right there, Damian Lillard uh LeBron James um I mean I, I, I'm, and I'm trying to think of the guys who it's not just the intangibles they also bring elite level play to the table because there are guys who who are elite at the play part and they're like okay at the other stuff or great at the mentorship leadership part and okay players in terms of guys that combine both um hmm Yeah I mean like it it gets uh, like Steph Curry is a great teammate but he may not be as direct and forceful as those other guys that I just named. Um, Jimmy Butler is great at being forceful and and leading but Jimmy Butler as a talent is a step below I believe the names that I mentioned. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden those are kind of you know I I, they are supremely talented but not necessarily the consistency of like I said a LeBron or a Damian Lillard or Chris Paul when it comes to leadership um yeah I I think I I think those might be the three names I would go with off the top of my head uh without kind of looking like through a bunch of lists of players
0: I mean we're gonna we're gonna close with with the with the finals or at least I think we are but before we do that you mentioned Dame and so I gotta ask what the hell is going on with Team USA? I mean, is, is, this, is, this, a, is this a, hey, they're not at full strength? Is this a, is, is it some larger thing that, that, that we got to be worried about here? Or you, what, what do you think?
2: I think uh, Team USA has been successful in recent memory because they have taken the time to build something that has continuity, in terms of people reporting for service, uh, in terms of practice time these uh, players have had together with a coach in a certain system. And, uh, you know, obviously due to uh, circumstances out of our control, they haven't had that luxury this time around. I think the, the other thing obviously is there is, you know, I talked about this whole Lebitard show today yesterday excuse me whatever uh monday of this week (laughs) speaking vagueness right um that the idea of one thing that 1992 had that'll never walk back through that door is they walked onto the court and people were players were trying to take pictures with them there was an awe factor there mythology this was zeus and the rest of the Aries and all the Greek gods coming down and they're gonna hang out with us mortals. Oh, right. And now you got Joe Ingalls said, yeah, we expected to win this whole time. Like this isn't a big victory for us. This is what we expected to do because there is no mystery. There's a demystification because Joe Ingalls is like, yeah, I play in the NBA. I guard these guys all the time. They have to guard me. I do pretty well for myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm not gonna be all of a sudden starstruck at this collection of talent Uh, now losing to Nigeria. That's a different story because yes, they have seven pros and of those seven pros, maybe Josh Kogi is the most um, kind of rotation heavy guy. And he had four points that game. So it wasn't him. You got killed by Gabe Vincent, who's a two-way player for the Miami heat. I get it. He's a pro in the NBA, but he's also a two-way player for the Miami heat. Mm -hmm. Right. So, some of that stuff is not taking your opposition seriously. Some of it is a lack of preparation just due to circumstances. Some of it is opposition is um, not afraid of you. And then some of it is I'm going to hold off on this last one and say it definitively, but I'm going to float it out there in case anyone else says it so I can say I said it first. Go for it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr are guys who coach systems at their respective franchises that are very rhythm and feel based ball movement, body movement, complex plays set a back screen here and zipper cut there. When you do that, you flare out this way, right? That's great. When you have training camp and you've got 82 games to get it right. When everyone just got here together, it's a little harder. And I think you saw that at the end of the Nigeria game, they try to run something really complex and there's a whole lot of, wait, was I supposed to go? No. And, you no, know, I'm not saying the players, weren't trying i'm saying the players are just like it's a little confusing like we yep. just learned this stuff we're just starting this stuff right now and i think th- pop needs to against his better judgment kind of let go let god right like just be like we're gonna iso the hell out of it one poor plat- <laughs> some of the stuff that hero ball stuff sometimes it works because it's simple and especially when you know you have a talent gap it gets the job done. Now you might be practicing other stuff in the background, but you know, for the time being, they might need to just go ahead and just let their stars be stars.
1: But, but the role of a team USA head coach is really to just be a facilitator of talent, right? Like he, I mean, you are a coach, but at the same time, it's not like you're running the Spurs. They're supposed to be a levity of like these guys know what they're doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but there are guys, I mean, like Larry Brown in 2004. Larry Brown's one of the greatest coaches ever, right? Anyone who's been around Larry Brown tells you, I don't know too many people who know more about basketball than that guy. Uh, the, I've, we, I've worked with assistant coaches who have been on Larry's staff, and they, and they said literally, Larry, Larry has two things. He's like, one, there's only four plays in basketball. He's like, there's a pick and roll, there's a post-up, there's like a, a flare screen and an ISO. I think I might, I might have that wrong. But like, there's like four, anything else he said, that's just people being complicated, right? We say, oh, we're going to run hammer, da, da, da. It's like, you're just jargoning it up, right? The second thing Larry says is like, Larry will ask you what kind of offense do you want to run? He'll ask you. And then he'll create the, it's almost like tailor-made for you. All right, so you want a slow down, half court, post-up driven offense. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, you want up-tempo, Pick and rolls, pacing space. Boom, 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 boom. Like it, everything is like an encyclopedia for him, right? Um, he's the type of guy. I've had video coordinators tell me Larry will walk in the video room and say, I need uh, Lehigh versus Bucknell from last night. They ran an under out of bounds play at the 1450 mark of the second half. And then that night, that's what he'll draw up in the huddle in an NBA game, we're going to run this, that he just learned last night, got the tape today, and tonight can implement it. That's the level of genius we have. But Larry at the Olympics with a young team and with a, a, by the way, a set of rules that are very different from NBA rules that these other players are more accustomed to uh, than our players are it doesn't work, it didn't work. And that doesn't mean Larry's not a good coach. It just maybe you're not, in the words of Paul Abdul,
0: you're not right for this competition. That, that's, that, that's a great quote. Now, hey, so, don't want, I, I never wanna step on a good quote, but, but we're, good, we're about to, so, get, so game four, kind of break it down. Who, who, X-Factors, what's gonna happen and who's gonna, who's gonna take it? I think, uh, all right, so you, you
2: need Uh, Another good showing defensively from P.J. Tucker, uh, if you're Milwaukee, let me talk from Milwaukee's talking Mm -hmm. points. You want to keep being physical with with Booker, not allow him to get to his spots, not allow him to get comfortable. I think you need to uh, continue to close the space off the pick and roll when Chris Paul comes off. Don't give him all that space as he comes. He's looking for the mid-range shot. He does not want to get to the front of the rim. I think that's one of the things that are lost on people. Most guards coming off the pick and roll, are saying either I'm trying to get this to the front of the rim or I'm trying to take this jumper back here. Chris Paul actually doesn't want to get to the front of the rim. I think something like only 6% or 5% of his field goal attempts come at the rim. And they're only like, after everything, has just blown the coverage. He's going, But he's not Kyrie Irving or Steph Curry where he's going up among the trees trying to finish in there. So they've got to keep that in mind as they're defending him and allowing him to operate in the mid-range. And I think Giannis needs to continue to be quick with it right quick touches whether it's you know I think the signature play I can think of from the other night was caught it on the wing I for a little bit threw it out to Pat Connaughton screen roll bounce roll hard Connaughton hits him dunk like that's how he should be playing everything up tempo not a whole lot of holding not a whole lot of ball stopping and then finally Chris Middleton drew holiday they need to get to the free throw line. I get it. They had great offensive games in game three. They hit their perimeter shots. Middleton shot three free throws, I believe, how they didn't shoot any. This is a game after how they shot three free throws and Middleton didn't shoot any. And game one, Middleton didn't shoot any in game one either. So they need to start getting those guys involved uh, offensively in positions where they can take advantage of the Suns hacking on Giannis because the – the Suns are going to be in the bonus very early because the, the, the strategy is don't let Giannis finish around the rim. Well, in that case, why isn't Middleton shooting seven, eight, nine free throws? Why isn't he drawing more fouls to take advantage of that situation? On the other end, if you're the Suns, DeAndre Ayton, big fella, you're going to have to make some business decisions out there. If you get, pick up a quick one, you can't pick up a quick second. If you've got two, you can't pick up three. You have to be cognizant of your foul situation. I think Chris Paul, more pick and roll. I think he's played great through three games. Keep doing what you're doing. Devin Booker, as I said, how can we shed PJ Tucker off of you? Can we force the switch with a screen rescreen? Can we um can we bait PJ Tucker into some foul trouble? But we gotta get Devin Booker, you know, unshackled there. And then finally, who is going to be our backup center? Who can who can help us steal minutes at that position? Is it Torrey Craig? Is it Frank Kaminsky was just kind of shell-shocked? And can we count on him in game four to have a better showing?
1: All right, before we let you go, not going to let you get out of here without giving us your prediction. Who wins the series?
2: I think the Suns are going to win. I, I just, look, I, I'm comfortable picking the Suns every step of the way and just being wrong and surprised if Milwaukee <laughs> does it. Because I I just, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in Milwaukee's ability to continue to adjust because i know i know monty williams and his staff they watch that tape backward and forward there, there's no chance they're going to come back and do let's do more of the same and just help it works out they're going to have answers to the things that milwaukee did i don't have the same confidence that milwaukee is going to have answers to those answers so i'm sticking with the suns
1: Love it. They say the best part about a series is watching the adjustments along the way and excited Just to nice. see what the Suns do. Amin, I mean, thanks so much for your time, man. This has been great. We'll have to have you back on uh, over the course of the summer.
2: Absolutely. Summer League, right? It's coming <laughs> soon. Favorite. I'll be
0: there. <laughs> thanks, mean.
1: That was dope. Oh!
0: Man, I guess am I might, it means He's got some good stuff. I mean, he's, he's always, always got good stuff. I remember, I remember having long conversations with him back in the day at ESPN. So this is, you know, just brings back those good times.
1: Oh yeah. He he was fantastic. I, I spoke with him a little bit at all-star a few years ago in Chicago and it was the first time I'd ever met him. So like having him on this show and being able to talk a little NBA finals, you know, here's, here's what's great about him. Right. And I think this is probably going to end up being our quick hitter segment, but We all want to praise DeAndre Ayton and how good he's been, but he took at it, he looked at it from a broader perspective. Like, it's great now, but for the Suns and their roster construction and where they're going, like, that's that's a tough analysis to see both what Luca did this year and what we saw from Trey in the playoffs. It's almost Uh, like buyer's remorse in a moment of happiness,
0: which is a little weird. Exactly. Look, you know, yes, they they could have had Luca, And so, you know, and, and so with that, uh, the Dallas Mavericks or you know, one-time assistant coach uh, Jamal Mosley is now head coach of your Orlando Magic. So, uh, you know, and, and and Dallas is you know they're going to introduce kid uh, Jason Kidd in a couple of days, but but putting that to the side, what, what do you think of the uh, Mosley hire?
1: Well, he he's coming into a tough situation, and he joins a long lineage of failed Magic head coaches over the last decade. Right. Um, Which has been unfortunate because the roster has been in so much flux, but he did have his introductory press conference today. You know, we're recording this on um, Tuesday night. So he had it this afternoon and he was a big win with the members of Orlando. And it really sounds like if you're, ta- you're trusting the Magic at their word that they did their due diligence, they sat with um, numerous head coaching candidates, and this was the guy that they wanted all along. And he's a teacher of players, which is what they need because they have a lot of young players on that roster. He has really good player relations, which is a big part of it because they have to build player relations being in a smaller market. And you could really hear it in his introductory press conference today with how he views the game of basketball. And look, Steve Clifford, really good head coach, right? Really good as far as getting the most out of his players and making them buy into the defensive side of the floor. This almost feels like, and again, this is just me listening to a man talk. And like, it's very easy to win the introductory press conference. Like hell, Les Miles won the introductory press conference at Kansas and people are like, yeah, this is a great idea. Didn't turn out that way, but the way he spoke and the cadence at which he spoke and his intellect for the game felt very different than a lot of the other head coaches that have kind of come through the door there. And so in my heart of hearts, I believe it's a good hire for them. And I hope it's a good hire for them because that franchise has kind of been rudderless, but the bigger picture is Otto. This was a great hire in the fact that they didn't hire Penny Hardaway. Like everybody wanted them to hire Penny, right? Like Penny would have been fantastic because he's a franchise icon. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like coaching contracts are what? Traditionally four or five years, like five years. If you're really good, you get that extra year. If you bring on Penny, you're setting him up to fail because they don't have a franchise player. They don't have two franchise players. They don't have an all-star right now. Like they traded everybody away. And so to bring him into a situation like that, where he would be set up to fail and then to fire him in four or five years for a franchise that already has a hard enough time just building relationships with its stars, like, you know, Dwight, Shaq, T-Mac, like how many of those guys even come around anymore? This was the right hire because it didn't set up their uh, icon for failure.
0: Yeah. And so we kind of got the uh, the opposite end of the spectrum in dallas you know you 've got the franchise player and you 've got a very nice complimentary player when he shows up but you know but so so you you know kind of wonder what what kid is going to do with Luke I mean this' you know guy who's uh you know a triple double machine back in his day guy who could, you know could can see the floor um and definitely. Sees the game from a you know multiple angles as we were talking angles earlier. I just I just wonder. I mean, part of me is kind of on on one level upset that you know I always like to see some new blood come in, and Mosley would have been good in in, in that in that mark, and I think it would have done fine. Uh, but you know, I, I'm I'm kind of curious. I me, mean, obviously, kid has has had that job before, head coach, uh, and so I don't know.
1: Well, and and Luca had given him praise, right? Yeah. There's a few yeah. games that he had filled in. I think one was in New York. And, and I think I've seen this written where he said that he's going to be a head coach someday and he'd be a good head coach. I mean, yeah, no, he if, liked, if you're yeah. a franchise trying to build, I mean, hell, we just spoke about it, right? Like it's all yeah. about relationship building and yeah. getting them to resign after their initial contract. Like yeah. that's a tough spot to be, especially if Luca really liked him.
0: Yeah. I really liked him about the same time. I mean, I think, the, I think the cake was kind of baked when, when Dirk was hired to be their special advisor. Uh, and it was like, you know, you, you put up the guy that you who's going to give you the answer that you want. So we're going to put Dirk in this special advisor role and we're going to have Mark Cuban ask Dirk who he thinks, you know, if he, if he thinks Jay Kidd would be a good, uh, you know, a good a good, good uh, choice as coach. And so, Dirk's yeah, okay. everybody, like That's everybody's it. happy, you know? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, all, all we got to do is, uh, oh uh, you, know, you know, Jason Terry and a couple of other guys come back and it's just like the re- Dallas reunion tour. I mean, it was called Reunion Arena at one point, not the same, not the same building, but. So I like I I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, as you know, it's you know, you get to the first round a couple of times. It, you know, success is now second round or Western Conference finals for them. And then if, if that doesn't happen, now obviously not gonna be probably expected to get there in you know year one of the of the of the kid era, but they're gonna have to do it sooner or later. If
1: I were to ask you who gets a second contract,
0: who are you betting on? Who between between the coaches?
1: Yeah. Oof, oof,
0: oof. Um So I think that they're going to make. I think that 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 the Mavs are going to make some player moves. I mean, I don't I don't have it on anyone's authority other than just like I watch the games. So I feel like there's going to be some kind of player moves, and and I think they'll they'll buy some some goodwill there, and um you know mostly like you said is in a is in a tough spot in that market. Um, So I think kid probably you know will 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 outlast, but um, I don't know. Yeah,
1: it's 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 a tough situation for Mosley, and you know it makes you wonder, like how big of a sell job the Magic had to do on that job for him to take it, because there's just not a lot of pieces on that roster, which is frustrating. I think if you're a head coach and you're trying to come in and make an impact, hey, you know if you're a good teacher, maybe you can get past it. But hey, playing against a lot of talent, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah. He'll he'll get some head coaching experience, which which uh, you know, it, 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 you know, it'll be his his shift to run, and so that that'll count for some.
1: All right,
2: let's go. Time to stick the landing. Hey. Ah!
1: All right, time to wrap things up this week. First, thanks to Metalark Media's Amin Al Hassan for joining us to talk NBA Finals and all that's going on around the loop. And a special thanks to our producer Daniel Kramer and our editor Kristen Woolley. Also, big ups to our king of content. He is our CCO. He is the EP. He is the one and only the Double B, Bruce Bernstein. And as for the rest of all of us here on Pure Hoops Media, the Mike Weiss Show each week brings you entertaining takes, incredible stories, and high-level guests. Full Court with Fisher & Kay has plenty of great college hoops talk each and every week. Monica McNutt and King McClure have buckets, boards, and blocks every Thursday. And of course, we round things out with the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman on Fridays. And as always, Otto and I are back every Tuesday with your NBA news and nuggets right here on Catch & Shoot
0: 2.0. Getting closer to our big hope for the year, and that is not just a great NBA Finals, but that every person on the planet gets the COVID vaccine so we could finally put this pandemic to an end. But we're not there yet. So protect yourself and others by wearing a mask, washing your hands, and keeping your distance. Don't forget the medical professionals and other frontline workers who are doing their part to keep us safe. So from my partner, Aaron Berlin, I'm Otto Strong. See you next week. Catch and Shoot
2: 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.